Thank you for listening to our Oppenheimer Let's Talk Future podcast series. In this episode, our guest is Ari Wold, Managing Director, Senior Analyst, and Head of Technical Analysis at Oppenheimer. And our host is Joan Corey, Managing Director and Chief Marketing Officer of Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on September 21st, 2021. Please subscribe to our channel to instantly access previous episodes. Subscribing also means you won't miss out on new episodes with our thought leaders who bring you timely and relevant insights about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. Investors are looking for insight and direction and how to understand the historical movements, the implication for sector rotation, security selection, and ultimately pricing. The Dow Theory, over 100 years old, has been a good predictor of spotting and exploiting trends in the market. Ultimately, the price of securities is a synthesis of so many factors. We believe using both fundamental and technical analysis provides us with the best insight for investors. We will discuss the practice of technical analysis, review our top-down market outlook, as well as touch on topics such as interest rates, commodities, currencies, and more. At the end, we'll highlight several of Oppenheimer's top picks. Today, I am pleased to have a conversation with Ari Wald, who is Managing Director and a member of the Institutional Portfolio Strategy Team at Oppenheimer, where he provides technical analysis. He has won numerous awards as a technical analyst in 2014, 16, 18, 19, and 20, and was Technical Analyst of the Year in 2016. Ari defines objectivity in his approach to capital market analysis with an ability to break down the complex into direct insights that matter for all types of investors. His ability to see relationships and trends that, from his view, are simply hidden in plain sight. I asked Ari what he enjoyed about being a technical analyst, and he explained the unemotional and quantitative approach really suited him. And that started with his education. He graduated from Rutgers University with a BS in statistics and mathematics. He is a CFA charter holder, holds the CMT designation, holds many securities licenses, and is actively involved with the Market Technicians Association. Ari makes frequent guest appearances on CNBC, Bloomberg, and BNN, and is often quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Reuters, to name a few. He also posts often on social media, so please follow him. A native of Philly, he and his wife and three sons live in New Jersey. He also likes to snow ski, and I understand he keeps an eye on the charts of Vail Resorts, MTN. Here is a really useful ski technical tip. He says their endless back bowls and eclectic village atmosphere are unmatched anywhere out west. Welcome, Ari. Let's get started. All right. Thanks, Joan. I'm thrilled to be here on the Let's Talk Future podcast. Let's just talk about the role of technical analysis and how it is a part of the investment management process. The two primary styles of analysis are fundamental and technical. 
So technical analysis utilizes price charts to measure supply, demand, and overall investor behavior. Now, one way to think about the difference is that a fundamental analyst examines how products in a store are made and sold, and a technical analyst sits outside the store and examines the trends and quantity of customers that are buying the product. So we believe in a mosaic approach to investing and that these disciplines can be used together to increase one's probability of success. My old boss used to say that the value of an unbiased technical approach is to question traditional fundamental beliefs, which I think speaks to the importance of removing emotions from the decision-making process. So with that sort of as background, a little explanation, can you go a little bit deeper and talk about your research style, the methodology, and discipline? There are four main points to our process. First, it starts from the top. You know, our primary responsibility is to identify the direction of the market, and the sectors and industries best positioned to outperform in that environment. So there are studies that show nearly half of a stock's performance attributed to what the market is doing as well as the sector it's in. We want to get our clients into the right ballpark first and foremost. Now recall the collapse of the energy sector back in 2014. It didn't matter how good company fundamentals were at the time. If a stock was trading in the energy sector, rest assured it was getting sold sharply. The second point for us is to follow the trend. We found that the slope of a security's 200-day average is a great proxy for the direction of trend. So if our actionable signals are pullbacks to support or breakouts through resistance, we only want to act on them when the 200-day is sloped positively. The third point is to only buy best of the best, which we call market leadership. We can identify this by analyzing how a stock is trading relative to its benchmark. A buying market leadership is a strategy called momentum investing, which has been shown to exist through academic research. And the rules to momentum investing gets us to our last point. Let your winners run and cut your losers quickly. It's so important to have the big winners to offset the smaller losses. And this is something we stress to our clients. Now, we're fans of the 200-day rule, which is if price falls below the 200-day average, the position has to be cut by some degree to limit the loss. We found too many investors want to do it the other way around. I've heard it said that many like to water their weeds and cut their flowers, which makes little sense to us. Understood. So to summarize, one, start at the top, two, follow the trend, three, buy best of the best, four, let winners run, cut losers. Okay, so you mentioned the importance of the top-down market outlook. What is the current view from the top, and what is the market signaling to you about COVID-19? The market is signaling that economic reopening should continue to support the cycle, and that peak growth is still positive growth and paves the way for additional equity upside. Now, our S&P 500 outlook is based on the four-year cycle. Historically, there's been a tendency for the S&P to fall to a major cycle low about every four years. So March 2020, as short as the decline was, was a bear market low. And the roadmap we're following is that the index is one and a half years into what is typically closer to a two and a half year advance. So we're assuming there's another year left to the bull. Now, the various indicators we track are confirming this roadmap too. For instance, at its highest point this year, 90% of the stocks on the NYSE were above their 200-day average, 
which was the highest reading since 2009. So using past analogs like 2004 and 2010, it's likely that the pace of the advance should slow from the fast rise enjoyed over the last year, but gains should continue nonetheless. So how do interest rates, commodity prices, and currencies fit into your process? And if there's any other factors that you're looking at, can you kind of detail what those might be? I'll start with the range of factors that we monitor. Along with traditional trend analysis, we also closely watch internal breadth to capture whether rallies are broadening or narrowing. We watch leadership ratios to see whether cyclicals or defensives are outperforming. As a contrarian indicator, sentiment is high on our radar to gauge whether investor expectations are too optimistic or too pessimistic. And finally, we're big on our inner market checks ranging from credit spreads, to interest rates to commodity prices. So in regards to interest rates, we think the 10-year U.S. yield is carving out a base and positioned to rise towards 1.75% by year end. Now, this should be bullish for cyclicals and the equity market broadly. However, we do see a ceiling out there with over 20% of the world's debt still in negative territory. Now, this gets us to our bullish outlook towards technology. Even if the 10-year was to overshoot, and rise to say two or even two and a half percent, it's not until rates rise closer to 4% that it starts to negatively impact the value of some of these high growth companies. So we agree, the sector may not be the top performer when rates are swinging higher and the market is embracing beta, but we do expect tech to continue to produce some of the steadier returns through the course of the cycle, given its resilience, in a not too hot, not too cold macro backdrop. Interesting, let's stay on that point. Let's stay on the point of technology. So currently, I think technology is about 28% of the S&P 500 and has enjoyed quite a nice ride and in their valuations. So talk to us about should investors be buying technology or is there a risk another bubble is forming like we had in the late 1990s. Joan, yes, they should still be buying. Now we see such a stark contrast at the headline market level between now and the 1990s. Take the NASDAQ 100, which is perhaps viewed most often as a hotbed of froth. We continue to argue that the steadiness of its ascent is actually underappreciated. Now just look at any of its long-term rate of change calculations. It's been a flat line for years at a level significantly below where it was in the 90s. For instance, the Qs are up about 100% over the last three years, surely a nice return. But consider the index was up more than that, 120% in the final 12 months alone going into the year 2000 peak. So as we continue to say, don't blame big tech for its high contribution to a cap-weighted benchmark. That's simple math. Blame the rest of the market for how poorly they've done. It's the fact that the value index is up less than 30% over the same three-year period and coming off a 2020 washout that comps to 2008 and 2002 and 1974 and even 1940 all major market bottoms. So if there's going to be meaningful convergence between value and growth, we make the point it's gonna occur in the exact opposite way of what occurred after the 2000 top. Value is gonna to need to catch up in a rising market rather than growth catching down in a falling one. 
So we're rooting for this scenario because we think all these S&P forecasts are way too low if this is going to occur. But for now, we think you stick with what's working, which is growth. Very interesting, very compelling. So let's transition. I have a number of questions, rapid fire questions, if you will, just questions I've always wanted to ask you. So here we go. Really with starting with a human interest question, how many charts do you look at? I have a playlist of about 100 macro charts that I rifle through each morning while I'm sipping coffee to get my day started. When conditions require a slideshow of each stock in the S&P 500 occurs often too, and for what it's worth, I've created about 1,500 charts on my terminal that are available to me on demand. So I'd say I guess that's an average amount, yeah? Goodness, that's a lot of charts. So you're starting your day with lots of numbers and lots of coffee. Awesome. Talk to me about volume. How is that incorporated into your analysis? As secondary confirmation, we do look at it. However, it's not a primary determinant of our recommendations. The last decade has been characterized by lightly traded rallies followed by heavier volume sell-offs. However, if you follow the textbooks, which suggests this type of behavior is bearish, one would have missed one of the best 10-year stretches in market history. Got it. Okay, inflation, we're all looking at this. What does it mean? Our market checks indicate inflation is likely peaked for the cycle. Now, we think stability in the U.S. dollar specifically has created a Goldilocks scenario for consumer pricing and given investors the green light to accumulate positions on market pullback. What is worrying RE now? Well, the weakness in the Russell 2000 gauge of small cap stocks is perhaps most troubling, but cuts both ways. Now, our work indicates breakdown in the Russell have actually been tremendous opportunities to buy stocks broadly, but it can be tough to differentiate how bad small caps have to get before that opportunity is presented. So has the increase in passive investing changed market structure? And in turn, how has that changed technical analysis? Well, we think the rise of passive has placed greater importance on top-down strategy. Now, it's mattered less whether one is making a decision to buy Bank A or Bank B, and it's become more important to decide whether to buy a banking ETF or a software ETF for the simple reason more trades are now being made on sector and industry ETFs rather than individual stocks. How do you work with professional advisors? We work with our advisors every day when it comes to allocation decisions. You know, many of our consistent readers of our Inflection Points report, which comes out every Saturday and covers our top ideas. Each week, we're either touching on our best large cap ideas, our best mid cap ideas, or just taking an industry deep dive and working together to provide our clients with the most important need to know information. Speaking of need to know information, and I would say as a special treat to our listeners, Let's talk about some of your top picks. Joan, we call these hitting the Opco trifecta. Now, these are stocks fundamentally rated outperformed by the firm's research. They're rated positively in our own trend work and are supported by top-down portfolio tailwinds. So I have five ideas from five different sectors I wanted to quickly share to help build the framework for a diversified portfolio. The first is Nike, which as we record this is down about 10% from its recent peak. 
We see this as an opportunity to buy into the growth side of the consumer discretionary sector. Pick two is Medtronic, stock that is included in a broadly strong medical devices industry that is currently breaking out versus the healthcare sector. Next is ServiceNow, which provides access to the secular leadership that we see continuing to play out in the technology sector. Fourth is S&P Global, which has been leadership versus a relatively strong capital markets industry and a top idea within financials. And finally, we're bullish on Roper Technologies, which is also down about 8% from its peak and provides rotation potential relative to the S&P industrial sector. There you have it, top five picks from Ari Wall. As we wrap up this episode of Let's Talk Future, Ari, thank you so much for being our guest today. And I, I guess as we think about our conversation, there may be five key takeaways as well, in addition to the top picks that you just went through. Number one, the economic reopening should continue to support the cycle, which is good news. Interest rates are looking to tick up to 1.75% by year end. We are bullish on technology for many reasons that you discussed. Four, inflation has likely peaked. And five, the importance of technical analysis and a top-down view is more important than ever. So thank you again, Ari, for joining us and Let's Talk Future. Thanks again for having me, Joan. I look forward to talking again soon. Don't miss the next episode of Let's Talk Future as we explore a variety of topics important to every kind of investor by bringing our firm's financial thought leaders directly to you. Hit the subscribe button today.